Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and this is episode number 158 of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Um, today we're sitting down, we're talking to an awesome person, an awesome runner, um, Erica Rackley. Um, Erica was one of our volunteers at Desert Rats. She had the incredibly important job of setting up camp for us every single night. And man, you, can you imagine she put in like probably like 14 hour days uh, during that race. And then she also was able to get her own uh, training in because she was about a month out from taking on her very first 100 mile race, uh, the High Lonesome 100, kind of a race uh, around Salida, Buena Vista, that kind of area in Colorado. And, um, and yeah, so we got to talking and, you know, she was so busy. We didn't do a lot of talking at the actual uh, Desert Rats race, but I did know she was doing 100 and I told her I was super excited to hear about it whenever she completed the race. Um, and so that's what we're doing today. We're sitting down. We're hearing Erica's kind of race report about the High Lonesome 100. And we're also kind of digging into her story. Um, she's kind of a lifelong runner at this point, which is pretty cool. And she's had so many different experiences um, from collegiate running uh, all the way to now ultra marathoning, uh, which is super cool. And and once again, like the 100 mile race still that distance kind of blows my mind. And uh, it's really excited to sit down and chat with people, especially people who have it's their first one, you know, because I feel like your first one has to be pretty special race where you find out a lot about yourself. Um, and so that's what you guys are going to listen to today. Um, also, she has a really interesting story because um, I feel like a lot of us people who are doing ultra running or adventures or kind of the things that you hear on this podcast, we set high expectations on ourselves. And I know if you're anything like me, the hardest person in my life on me, like the person who is the most critical at times is myself. And um, it's interesting when you, I just, I found this conversation fascinating because Erica finished the race and she finished her goal of completing a hundred mile race, but she had some other goals that she didn't necessarily reach. And it's this interesting dynamic of your proud of your accomplishment but you're also a little bit disappointed in how you performed and she does a really good job kind of explaining that weird dynamic because you know me being the the guy the positive dude who's like i want to jump in and just be like dude you completed a 100 miler like that's amazing like you shouldn't even worry about this other stuff um you know like i want to just boost her up but then at the same time the competitor in me understands the idea of like you want to perform at your highest possible level and if you feel like you didn't reach that it's a little bit weird it's it can be a little bit uh disappointing and i know i mean erica and i talked for probably two hours um we recorded a lot of it for the podcast but then we chatted for maybe another hour after the show and just kind of like you know tried to get to the to the bottom of this dynamic because it's super fascinating to me um and she said it was nice to kind of talk to fellow ultra runners who who understand this idea because a lot of people like you know maybe her family or people who haven't done ultra running um 
they want to do my initial reaction, which is just jump in and be like, dude, congratulations. You're amazing. You're a badass, like things like that. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of the dynamic we're going to get into. Um, and Erica, she just does a really good job. She's very good at expressing these ideas. So, um, and then at the same time, she's, she shares the adventure story of it all. Right. And, uh, just to kind of connect it, um, I'm sure at this point in the podcast, you guys have heard enough of desert rats. Like it's been a lot, but I mean, once again, it's an event that is just so near and dear to my heart, but just kind of a cool connection here just to show you, like, it's not just words. It is kind of the truth, um, about the whole, like coming together as a group dynamic. Um, Kayla, who got first place for the women at desert rats, came out and and paced Erica through this. Uh, Kayla Howe paced Erica um, through the last miles of her race. And so um, there is this connection there um, through that race that you make with all these other other people, which is which is super cool and super special. So um, and I saw a picture because Erica sent me the pictures from High Lonesome and there's a picture of those two hugging at the finish line and i like kind of wanted to tear up because i'm like man the desert rat spirit is living on even though our our race is over and now it's spreading out to to these other races which is which is pretty cool so um all right guys let's get right into it this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 158 with erica rackley All right, guys, this week, I'm so excited. Uh, I have Erica Rackley on. Um, Erica, you've you volunteered for Desert Rats the last few years, um, and which has been really, really cool um, to be able to kind of hang out with you at, like, at camp and things like that. But I don't know a lot about like your athletic story. You know, like I know you were training for your 100 miler, which we'll get into, um, but I, I'm not sure like about your ultra running journey and stuff. So Anyways, I'm excited to have you on the show. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, where where would you like me to start? Where to begin? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I guess just in general, like have you always been an athlete? Have you always been kind of like challenging yourself in these ways or, or what? Yeah, um, so I definitely come from a family that was very into sports. Um, I'm the oldest of three, and I grew up playing a lot of team sports. Um, but I remember in eighth grade, I was changing schools, and it was the first year I was going to be able to play basketball on a school team, but the season didn't start until um, like October, November. And so my mom suggested for a fall sport that I tried cross country. I didn't know what that was, um, but I, I tried it in eighth grade and sort of the short version of the story is I very quickly forgot about basketball and just ran cross country in high school. Um, so I've been, I really enjoyed running for the most part um, since eighth grade. There's been, I mean, really since then, I think one calendar year where I didn't run at all, but other than that, I've always been running in some degree of seriousness since then. Um, I tried running for a couple of years on a NAIA college team, my first years of college. Uh, that didn't go very well. I got worse throughout those two years. 
Um, and that was actually when I took the year off was, was my junior year of college. I just didn't want anything to do with it. Transferred schools. Um, but I also really loved going to the mountains, hiking, backpacking. And so I think once I learned that trail riding was a thing that people do, to me it just seemed like this perfect combination of being in the places I like being, doing something I love. Um, so really probably in college, kind of the later years of college when I was running uh, on my own terms, I explored the trails and have been prioritizing running trails over road since then. Yeah, that's awesome. What what was it about the two years that like you've had a decline? Like why why did that happen? Uh, that's a great question. If I could give you a certain answer, I might not have left because I might have fixed it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I think there were a lot of factors. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy the school I was at apart from the running, which is why I left, um, after I quit the team. Um, I think in college, especially for women, um, you know, your body is still really changing and suddenly you're thrust into this environment where you don't really get to like prepare your own meals. Um, you don't really have most comfortable living space yeah um and i think i think like some coaching programs work for certain athletes and don't for others um you know some of my teammates saw a lot of improvement i didn't um and i had i had some health issues i was working through at the time um some thyroid issues i'm still not totally sure what part that played in it um so again it's kind of just this soup of things yeah. I can't really pinpoint one thing but I do remember just every day of working out was so depressing and I was just totally over it um, couldn't have wanted to get out of there more and ironically um, you know I raced a lot of 5k's in cross country and in track in those years but it wasn't until a couple years post-college that I ran a 5k PR so <laughs> Um, something about, about my situation just didn't work for me. It worked for others. You know, I had a really kind coach, um, who was always, you know, in my corner, but something just didn't click for me. Yeah. Well, I think like being a college athlete is so difficult because you're starting to balance, like now I'm completely on my own and I'm trying to figure out how to live, you know, under my own roof, which is usually like a tiny room in uh -huh. a dorm <laughs> which is hard enough and you're like trying to like figure that all that out plus you're trying to go to workouts and you're trying to like compete and 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 you're also starting as like the low man on the totem pole kind of deal like it's just it's just a difficult any college athlete i'm like props to you man like that's crazy that anyone can do that you know yeah it's uh in hindsight i do look back and think like how how does anyone succeed at this um, but you were a college athlete, right? Did you play? I, yeah, football? so I, I played football for one year, so my freshman year, and that was just it was going to to college like three weeks early and just hanging out with the football team and practicing like two days for three weeks in a row. And by the time school started, you're already exhausted and you're already just like system overload. Like, what is happening? You know? Yeah. So man, it's it's difficult. I. I, and I obviously didn't stick with it more than one year, so. 
so i understand for sure um yeah so once you once you got out of college though and you started kind of doing your own thing like when did you start adding the mileage on because cross country and a hundred mile race are like two almost completely different things yes very much so um and let's see so i remember it's it hasn't been like a sort of linear uh upward curve right i've kind of dabbled here and there in various distances but um shortly after college i remember the summer after well like the month before i graduated college i ran my first marathon and i was really into that i had a really fun time um my college roommate is an excellent runner so we trained together quite a bit um had a great experience doing the marathon and then that august i did my first ultra trail ultra i did a 50k um and again it was the same thing like trails sound fun i always knew i wasn't that fast but i had a lot of endurance so i figured okay like the longer the races the more competitive i'll be at it yeah. that was a total blast um and then i kind of just i decided i want to qualify for boston so i spent the next year sort of focused on road marathoning so that was kind of that phase um did you did you do boston mm-hmm. how was that um it was interesting. It was not a great performance for me. I ran way faster in my, my qualifier than oh, really? at the um, And I think, you know, the qualifier was um, over a year before I actually ran Boston. Um, and just life. You know, I had moved in the, in the time in between and was kind of trying to find a job. And things were kind of unstable for me. And I, I got slower for sure over that time. But it's definitely worth the trip it's really cool to have that many humans in one place yeah. all there for running um and i actually ran it the year after the bombing and so it felt particularly meaningful to be there um was there any like was it nerve-wracking a little bit after that like coming back for the year after it happened mm-hmm. um Yes, a little bit. Definitely in hindsight. Um, and like as I've gotten older, I am more and more eager to avoid crowds and situations like that. I mean, um, even just watching the news this weekend yeah. sort of reaffirms that maybe I shouldn't even go shopping at Walmart, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think in hindsight, realizing that I was around that many thousands of people um, is kind of scary. But... I don't know. I think I was just really eager to run it, and um, I don't know. I guess took took a risk to be there, but um, I think, yeah, I don't I don't know what exactly to say about that, other than you know I'm sure it was the strongest security that had ever been there. Yeah. Um, and I just really wanted to run it, and I think I rightly guessed that I might not be back there anytime soon uh because if i if i were to race that boston marathon self today i would lose by an hour like i'm not in, in marathon shape at all so it might have been my one shot at least you know within this this decade or so yeah yeah well marathon shape ultra shape it's a totally different <laughs> ball game you know what i mean uh i think that back that to that too though i'm like man, if I raced myself from like six years ago, what would happen? It would uh -huh. be interesting. Cause I'm like, I'm like more experienced. I'm, I'm more wise now, but you know, six years ago, Chris might've been, might've kicked some ass. I don't know. 
gosh. Perhaps we have different strengths than we had uh, exactly. you know, 10 years ago. There you go. There you go. Um, that way. Yeah. So when did you start doing like the, the mountain ultra, like when did you start, when did you move out here actually and like start heading out to the mountains? Yeah. So um, right after college, I was in the Sierra Nevada in California for uh, a couple of years, year and a half. I uh, did some mountain running out there. That's that's where I did my first 50K was California. Um, and then I moved to Colorado Springs for two years okay. in uh, 2013, the very end of it. Um, so while I was there, uh, I was living in a city, kind of like you, I'm sure, where you're in the city, but within a 15-minute drive, our trailheads to a lot of really great trails. So yeah. I really started doing a lot of trail running there. Um, I don't remember if or how many ultras I did, but I got into the Pikes Peak Ascent and did that for a couple of years. Um, that was sometimes fun, sometimes less fun. Uh, I also got slower over my two years of doing that race. <laughs> how does that, so when do you like, in the Pikes Peak Ascent, when does it really hit you? Cause you're running, I mean, up Pikes Peak, that's the name of it. Yeah. Um, when does the altitude know. get to you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure like depending on the caliber of athlete, the answer might vary. Um, the interesting thing is the first, like you can kind of divide that race up into quarters and the first quarter is very steep and difficult for most people to run at mm -hmm. any sort of decent pace. But then the second quarter, it mellows a lot and it's pretty runnable. Um, so that section's really fun. You get to halfway and then from there, you know, um, you, you'll find out how good your training was, I guess. Um, the upper three miles, you know, up above 12, 13,000 feet, um, it is, for me, it was pretty challenging to move very efficiently up there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe around tree line is when you, you can't really train at that altitude unless you're on a 14er once yeah. you're above tree line. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a really fun race though. I've never done the marathon. Um, marathon, you run back down, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, all right. Is that something on your list? Um, it was on my list. I don't even know what my list is anymore, Erica. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm like trying to figure it out and I don't even know at this point. I need to really like just sit down and think. But that one, it was for a while for sure. Um, you know, uh, I went up the Manitou incline and I was like, Oh, we could just keep going. We could just keep going all the way up to Pikes Peak, but we'll yeah. see. So it's a good trail. It's a fun race. It's kind of crowded. Yeah. Um, so run the marathon maybe, and you'll have twice as long for the crowds to thin out. There we go. <laughs> hey, that'll work. Um, <laughs> well, and you get to go down. I'm really good at like leaving elevation. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so yeah. I see, I was looking at your ultra signup, which I haven't, I hadn't okay. done until like five minutes ago. Um, okay. and I gotta say you did the grand traverse. Oh boy. Uh -huh. And you kicked butt. Well, once as that's, you may have noticed. That's incredible. Oh, is there another one on here? <laughs> you know, I think somehow, um, okay, here, here it goes. I'm going public. I think that, uh, my second attempt at the Grand Traverse has been mercifully concealed by Ultra Sign Up. Thank God. <laughs> um, so, okay, true confessions with Erica Rackley. Here's here's the story. The first year I did Grand Traverse, uh -huh. as you saw, it went pretty well. I was super excited. 
um, fun outing. I felt stronger as the race went on. Um, I have this thing I do where I, um, more than once have gotten fourth, which is like, you know, one place off the podium. Yeah. Obviously it's nothing to complain about. It could have been fifth or 20th or a thousandth or whatever, but, um, you know, fourth place has a little sting to it. So, um, I really made it my A race for the following year, which was last year. Um, and I, I don't even know why, but out, out of the gate, um, something was off that day of last year's Grand Traverse. And it was like I had no gas in the tank whatsoever after a good training block. Um, so that was actually my first DNF. I could tell at the top of, um, I think it's Star Pass. Star, the yeah. first it was just like, what is happening? Like my legs wouldn't move, my body wouldn't go. It was honestly the weirdest feeling I've ever had in a race. Um, and I figured, okay, you know, it doesn't always get worse in an ultra. Let's let's just keep moving to the mile 25 Taylor Pass aid station. And it did. It got way worse. And I was just like, you know, moving in slow motion. It was really discouraging, um, especially given that I had really kind of centered my summer around prepping for this race and coming back and improving upon that fourth place performance. Um, and I just knew, you know, I knew I could slog it out another 17 miles to the finish, but I didn't feel like I needed to prove to anyone that I could complete 40 miles. Yeah. I was there, um, with a more specific goal that day. And, um, I didn't feel like just simply finishing it was, was going to, mean much to me at that point. Um, I, something was just wrong with my body. I couldn't tell you what. And so I just decided over the course of, you know, those miles between star pass and Taylor pass that, um, I was going to call it a day and not sentence myself to a long recovery. And, um, it was a really weird, difficult day. So I get to that mile 25 aid station and I just sat down and I wasn't ready to turn in my bib yet. Um, were you like cruising to that point? Like, were you kind of like, okay, well, like I was trying to think like what part of the pack were you in? Well, uh, I was only slightly in front of you because I was sitting there and I saw you and Thomas Mullins. No way, dude. I was going to say me and Thomas Mullins, uh, ran that race. And let me tell you, I guess I, I, this might make you feel better hardest race I've ever ran like hands down <laughs> that sucked so much and I don't want to put words in Thomas's mouth but I I'm pretty sure we had a conversation at the finish line where we we're like what did we just do <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I did see you guys and I was like in the depths of my like self-pity wallowing and I look across and I see you guys coming up and I was like oh I know those guys I don't have the energy to say anything, but, but then I thought like, that's kind of rude. So I lifted my head back up and I was like, Hey, Thomas and Chris, but it was kind of quiet and you guys didn't hear me. And I was just like, I don't care. I don't really want anyone to see me right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious because that is the one race where I wasn't, I wasn't chatty at all. Like I didn't talk to a soul until we started descending into Aspen. Like as soon as we got back down to like 9,000 feet, I felt okay. Not fine, but okay. And, but usually, you know, like I'm talkative and stuff. And I just like went silent that whole entire race, except at one of the aid stations. It might've been the last aid station. I like looked at the guy with like tears in my eyes probably. And I was like, do we have to go above 12,000 feet again? And he goes, 
no, it's pretty much downhill from here. And I was like, can I give you a hug? Like, <laughs> thank you, man. <laughs> it was a suffer fest for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. I, well, I guess what I learned is when it's going well, it's a blast. And when it's not, it is a long slog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I'm like, yeah. the, there's people who mountain bike back the next day. And yep. I was like, you could yep. not pay me enough money to get on a mountain bike and go back there's no way that's crazy well sorry yeah. to bring that up i didn't i didn't see your oh, second okay. attempt here it's uh okay. so you know the first attempt you you felt really good so like mm -hmm. were you just cruising that whole day no in fact um and the my two grand traverses were really a, a tale in opposites um 2017 from the start to that first aid station at mile nine i felt pretty bad kind of nauseous. My breakfast hadn't settled very well. Um, but I didn't, I didn't feel good at all. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, this might be a long day. That's just about getting it done. And then at mile nine, I, um, stopped, I took off a jacket I had been wearing and, um, just sort of like reset for a minute. And from then on, I only felt better and better. Um, it was really, this is kind of common for me, but it was after mile 20 when I really started to feel good. Um, and I, I ran really strongly in the, in the back half of that first attempt, um, past some people and was running when a lot of people were hiking. So I was cruising, but not until, um, really the second half okay. of, of that first go around. And then it was kind of the opposite the next year. Actually the first nine miles felt okay. But then at mile nine, it was like the air was kind of let out of me and, and things yeah. got worse in a hurry. Yeah. Is that kind of like the only time that's happened in a race is that? Yeah, I would say that's the only time I've experienced that level of just, you know, things not like the wheels completely coming off. There's always little like, you know, this hour was hard or this climb didn't yeah. feel good. But um, no, I don't think uh, I don't think I've ever experienced something quite like that ever since or prior to yeah. last year's Grand Traverse. Um, yeah, I don't think so, which is I think part of the reason why. I was pretty okay DNFing because I, w I just thought this, I have no explanation for this. Yeah. Like this is not me. This is not normal. I would have been really concerned if it had become uh, like uh, a, a theme, something that happened over and over. But I mean, so far it's been kind of a one-off weird day. And yeah. um, so I didn't, I didn't feel like, again, I knew I could finish, you know, and make, you know, hopefully make the cutoff, but it just, uh, it wasn't there that day and so I felt pretty okay with with shelving that and and coming back to try again later yeah was it so it was easy like to come back mentally because you're just like hey this is an anomaly like obviously mm -hmm. this or was it a little more difficult than that um <clears throat> it was I was a little nervous the next time I raced which was in December um I ran a 50 miler in preparation for a February 100K, and okay. uh, that race, it wasn't like an, an A race. It truly was kind of a long training run, and I wanted to do it regardless to to prep for the 100K. But I also wanted uh, so that February 100K was very much an A race, and I didn't want that to be the next time I race after that DNF. So I did line up for that 50K, just kind of wondering. You know, is this the new me, this person who can't put it together on race day? Um, but fortunately, that wasn't the case. And I think 
you know, it's kind of like life. Sometimes things just don't go your way. Um, it hasn't happened again. I don't think, um, I'm sure it will at some point again, but, um, I think something was just off and fortunately, you know, the next couple of race experiences were, were quite different. Yeah. Do you feel like you like grew as an athlete or, you know, through that experience? Um, yes, I'm, I'm certain that I did. I've heard so many people talk about how, you know, a DNF is the best thing for you. You learn so much from it. Um, I think I did, but often the message I hear when people say that is, you know, you learn how bad, like how much it stings and how much you never want to feel that again. Yeah. To be honest, I felt like my situation was so unusual. It wasn't like I just said, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to quit. It was like something felt very, very off. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I did learn. Um, I mean, it, it didn't feel good. I wasn't happy. That was super depressing. Um, but I, I don't regret DNFing. I think that's the thing that most people point to is that they regret it. And I really don't. Um, I think maybe what I learned is that it is important to just listen to your body and that sometimes things are just not working and it would have been okay to decide my, my goal at that point was to finish, but it's also okay to decide to scrap it and sort of have, have the long view, play the long game, know that you'll come back another day. Um, so yeah, I think I learned something, um, not necessarily that. I should avoid a DNF at all costs because I don't think that. Um, but I, but again, it didn't feel good. So yeah, <laughs> I can avoid that forever. In the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, so you, you're, you just got done doing your first hundred miler, which I definitely yeah. want to hear about that. Um, and I remember sending you a message like a couple mm-hmm. weeks before and about like, let's, you know, if you want to, like, it would be awesome to do the podcast afterwards. And I was like, but I'm sure it'll like the story will just be like, I lined up at the start line. Everything went exactly how I expected <laughs> and it was great. Um, so, so let's get into your 100. So it was the high lonesome 100 miler, um, which is kind of like by Buena Vista, right? Um, it is. Okay. Yep. I actually, the person I just interviewed before this, um, pace somebody at it. Um, her name's Emily Wanless, um, super huh. cool runner from South Dakota, but she was talking about it okay. and, um, and I mentioned that this was your first 100 miler, I believe. Right. And that like blew her mind. She was like, <laughs> why anyone would choose that as your first hundred miler? Because apparently just the elevation and like going to 13,000 feet in the race, um, is brutal. So I guess we can start there. Like, why did you choose high lonesome as your very first one? Yeah. Great question. And you're not the only one who has posted it to me recently. Recently, <laughs> um, so my thinking process was this: um, you know, we just talked about Grand Traverse and the hundred Ks I've done, yeah. And I've spent the last, you know, really since I moved to Summit County, running longer races. Uh, and that was four years ago. So running longer races, and always knowing. I mean, really since high school, when I learned that one hundred mile races were a thing, that I wanted to do one—a a mountain trail one hundred miler, probably lots of them, in fact. Um, but I also felt really until a year ago that the time wasn't right. I wanted to get more experience. I wanted to run longer ultras. Um, I I felt like I sort of needed to, yeah, just put in a little more time. 
And then last summer, um, I can't really describe to you what changed, but I, I just sort of felt that, okay, the time is right. 2019 is when I want to give this a go. So, um, I was thinking through hundred milers and, um, I, I thought at the time, and I'm pretty sure I still think <laughs> that I would like to do hard rock. Yeah. So I wanted to do a hard rock qualifier. Um, I know they're difficult, but, um, I also know that it takes people like, you know, years and years to, um, to get in. And so I thought, you know what, if it's going to be eight years from now that I can actually run it, I'd like to at least get started in the process. So I wanted to do a hard rock qualifier. Um, and so I was thinking through this kind of early last summer and I consulted with Brad Bishop, uh, mm -hmm. the guy who ran, yep. So, you know, Brad, um, he's really, he's done the grand slam. Um, he's quite the expert in all things hundred milers. And Didn't I asked, he, did he help organize some of the hard rock stuff? Yeah, he's, uh, um, he is the hard rock aid station director. That's so right. in the past he spent like the two weeks before the race down in Silverton making pies and hash browns and. He, he really is super devoted to it, um, as anyone who knows him knows. So He's like a genius of aid station design, uh -huh. like for yeah. races. Like seriously, like the dude's a, a genius at it. He's great at what he does for sure. I um, mean, he's so kind and helpful and willing to uh, like help anyone with their goal, right? So yeah. he was on the phone with me for probably an hour last summer or fall. Um, telling me about kind of the pros and cons of each of the different hard rock qualifiers. And um, I was kind of uh, looking towards the Wasatch 100. Um, I ran Speed Goat last year. And this, the next day, my mom, my sister, and I went on a hike. And I later realized that was on the course for Wasatch. And it was super beautiful. And so I was kind of thinking about that. And then High Lonesome 2018 happened. And about a month later, it appears on the list of hard rock qualifiers. So um, this year was only its third running. So right after its second running, it became a hard rock qualifier. Wow. And so I thought, okay, this is more or less in my backyard. Yeah. The course, for the most part, looks like a really great course. Um, and it's the earliest one, therefore the earliest registration. So if I don't get in, I can try for these other races. So I kind of thought, okay, High Lonesome is it. Um, and that's pretty much how I landed on High Lonesome. Um, as you may have heard, it sold out in nine minutes this year. That's so crazy. Um, so it was sold out at 1.09 a.m. on November the 1st. And I had set my alarm for 12.45 a.m., got up, refreshed my computer constantly, and got registered at 1.06 a.m. Wow. And just kind of like sat back, took a deep breath, refreshed again, and, and it was sold out. So um, I guess things kind of came together for me to be able to do it on kind of a historical year. The last year that it, it won't be entry via lottery. The first year it's a hard rock qualifier. Um, so, yeah, that's how I chose it. Yeah. it's Is it is – it, uh, I know it's high because you go 13,000 feet a couple times. But is it lonesome? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think my mom asked the same thing. Why is it called this? Um, so officially, according to the website, the name comes from a stretch of course that's around mile 65 where you do your final like multi-thousand foot climb of the race 
and you top out on the Continental Divide and you have this four or five mile stretch of, you know, you're literally on the divide above treeline for almost every runner. It's nighttime. Um, and you know, you're at this really high elevation and it is kind of lonely. If you can't see a headlamp in front of you, um, you know, it kind of feels like you're the only person in the world. So, um, I would, I would say yes, at times it was certainly lonesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, so uh... I guess just really quick, um, can you touch on like your training for it? Like what was the longest day you ran? And I know you did races leading up to it, obviously to get that distance in, but, um, what was the longest like solo run you did? Great question. Um, and I will start by saying I do not make my own training plan. I work with a coach who I've worked with for four years. Her name is Jenny Smith, Jenny Smith coaching. Um, and and she, she is wonderful. Um, so these are, this is us kind of working together. She designs things around my schedule. So perhaps with a little more flexibility, things would have been different. But um, quite honestly, the way it sorted out, um, I did a race in early May in which I covered 34 miles. And then all my, well, and then I did a 29-mile day on my feet when I was sweeping at desert rats yeah, and I didn't ever do anything longer than that in one go. Um, I kind of ended my training with three weeks in a row, um, where I did, so my days off Monday, Tuesday, I would do, um, a four hour run on Monday and Tuesday, the next week average a five hour run on Monday and Tuesday. And then the next week average of six or it it might've been three, four, five, it's either three, four, five, or four, five, six. I don't remember. Okay. Um, so quite honestly, and because I was like towards the end of it, I was training on the course, so there was a lot of hiking involved. I never did super high miles. Yeah. Um, I think the longest I had like a twenty and twenty-three mile day back to back, and those were really my biggest days. So I went into it knowing that I I was probably doing shorter individual long runs than a lot of other people there. Um, I didn't love that. I also knew the, the back-to-back does a lot, you know, getting in 40, 43 miles within two days. Yeah. No recovery was really helpful. Um, and then the other emphasis that my coach had was rather than, you know, this eight or 10-hour training day, we're going to give you a really high total number of hours for the week. Okay kind of consistent day after day after day piling it on. Um, so yeah, I, n- I never had like a 30 or 40 mile training run. Um, a lot of people do like a 50 mile race before a hundred. I didn't do that. Um, I don't think again, what I did was necessarily the absolute best way to do it. I think it was what I was able to do given my schedule yeah. outside of running while training. I think that's important for people to understand, like, you know, it's going to be the best for you. You know, we all have different schedules and different factors that we have to work around um, and whatever works best for you. I mean, it just like as someone who's never ran a hundred miler, it's it's intimidating thinking about Mm -hmm. the training. But I think there's also probably some misconceptions about you know, there are different approaches, I guess, that you can take to the training, if that makes sense. I don't know. 
Yes, certainly. And I, I mean, I will confess, um, like, I don't know how I would possibly do it in your shoes while having, you know, a wife and kids. Like you just got to wake up at four in the morning and it's (laughs) terrible every morning. (laughs) I mean, I, there are definitely times when I felt like it was all I could do to run, go to work and, and eat meals and sleep. I mean, laundry, house cleaning, things that are like, you know, kind of need to happen. <laughs> I couldn't get any of it done. Like I couldn't go to the grocery store and it was all just kind of like, it, I wasn't in a great place um, in terms of just time management. It was a big challenge is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Um, so I don't, I don't want to mislead anyone there, but um, I don't know. I think I definitely got help from those around me to just remind me that you know, this is like a four week period and, you know, it's going to be really tough. It's going to be worth it. And you can do all that laundry when it's done, you know, <laughs> like you'll get to it. Um, but go train and, yeah. and, uh, yeah, it, it worked out. Okay. I got it done in the end. I like that mindset though. Of like, cause it's not like you're a hundred mile training or like an ultra training. It's not like it's an eight month thing that you're doing really intense for like months and months and months right it's a short you're 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 totally right like they're just reminding yourself like this is four weeks like i can do this and the payoff is is something that's really meaningful to me and like really important so um that's super cool did you do a lot of like altitude because i know you're in summit county and you have that like option but i also know most of the spring and summer there was a lot of snow up high (laughs) Yeah. So that was, that's funny, right? Like, though I live in this place that's pretty ideal for prepping for this particular race, um, it was like pretty hard to run here until the middle of July, which yeah. is like a week before the race. <laughs> uh, so, um, so the good thing is if I'm at home, I'm not running any lower than 9,000 feet period. Um, basically for me, it just meant that I did a lot of running on our very small handful of trails that were clear in June. Um, So for us, that's the Frisco Peninsula. I have ran so many peninsula miles in June. Um, And usually that's like my my May and October training place. You know, it's the first thing to melt out. It's the last thing to hold snow. It's really exposed. There's a great network of trails. But usually in June, I'm like out elsewhere, but not this year. Um, but even that is like 9,000 feet. Um, a couple of stretches of the Colorado trail over near Breck are a little lower that melted out. Um, so yeah, it really meant a lot of miles on the same trails. And then, uh, closer to race, I did head down to the course for my longer days for my days off. Yeah. Um, and actually the Sawatch melted out pretty early, like fairly, um, average, like calendar dates. Um, I'm not sure if maybe they had a little bit less snow or um, definitely the parts of the course that are at like eight or 9,000 feet were very clear uh, pretty early on. Oh, in that rocks. Mm-hmm. What's that? I said that, that definitely oh. rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So did you have any high altitude days at all? Cause I'm also like, for me, like, like I, we were talking before this, I just hiked Buffalo mountain, which is 12,000 mm-hmm. and it's probably only like a five mile hike maybe. 
but you get that altitude and yep. I'm kind of like, that's pretty important. And you get like a lot of the elevation gain. So I haven't really thought about this until right now, but I did two back-to-back training runs on the course, um, up above 12,000 feet. I went over the course high point on a training run. Um, but outside of that day, I don't know that I got above 10 yeah. in training and, and perhaps that played a part in it being kind of a rough outing. I'm not sure. Um, it was just such a, a rough year for getting up high, um, without, you know, slogging through snow. Um, so maybe, you know, that's something to consider in the future is getting up higher. I think I have sort of this tendency to think, oh, I live at 9,700 feet. So I'm altitude training every yeah. moment of the day, yeah. but it's not, it's not 13, it's not yeah. 12. And that is a difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, let's get into the race then. So mm-hmm. high lonesome 100, um, how did it feel like, like finally getting there? Cause you said you signed up November 1st yeah. <laughs> and you have to wait like over like half a year to actually get to the point where you're going to run. So what was that like? Like the day, the morning of like getting ready to go and then like the first couple of miles. Yeah. Um, I think it felt, it felt really good to just hear that gun go off and get yeah. underway because there's so much funny emotion build up for it. You know, I had, I like, you still there, Chris? Yeah, sorry. I was just marking down. Okay. Is it? I can do maybe if I try. Uh, I'll I'll exit my video. That might help. Cool. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Um. Just you know, all the build up. Um. Even the day before was like you know, I had to work to carve out some downtime the day before with like the meeting and I met with my crew and pacers and and sort of got things organized. So, um, it felt really good to just start doing the thing that, like you said, I had been building up to since November. Um, and honestly, I was kind of analyzing how I'm feeling. Um, but in the hundred, I realized it doesn't really matter. Like if I feel good or bad now, it's definitely going to change at some point. So it was really relaxed. I took it out really easy. Um, and just kind of enjoyed knowing that I was finally doing this thing that I'd spent so much time preparing for. Yeah. Were you, um, cause I know you're, you're a competitive person for sure. Uh, so were you competing against yourself or the other <laughs> athletes or are you trying to like hold back where you're like, I'm not even going to think about anyone else, but me for the first so-and-so amount of miles. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely in the early miles, um, was, not concerning myself with pace. Um, knowing that the race doesn't really start until much later in a hundred, um, and trying to not get caught up in what place I was in early. Um, that's kind of always my strategy in an ultra. Like I said, I tend to, uh, kind of come alive in the back half of an ultra. Um, the bummer with this race was I never, I, I would say I started out at a very relaxed pace and slowed down from there. It <laughs> <laughs> never like you were, you, no. you never like time to cruise or I feel good cruising. Well, I mean, here's the, the frustrating part about this race. Um, even later in the race when I felt like I was cruising, it was slow motion cruising. Um, I, so what I'm trying to say is I always have competitive ambitions 
I approached this race with A through Z goals, and the Z goal was to simply finish under the cutoff. Um, and I, I finished this race. Um, I hit the Z goal, <laughs> um, and that was a pretty hard pill to swallow. I recognize it's my first 100, um, and and finishing alone is a big deal. But um, yeah, it it wasn't like I said. It was the Z goal that I made, and and not the A or B or C goal. Yeah, well, and it's from my perspective, I gotta say like you accomplished something still though. You know what I mean? Like you accomplished that Z goal. And that's something that like most people you will meet in your life have never done. You know what I mean? But I could tell by the email or like the messages <laughs> you were sending me, I'm like, Oh, it seems like she's a bit disappointed in how she performed. But I yeah. think at least for me, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a very positive person. So I'm going to, yes, you know, you <laughs> but I think like, finishing a hundred miler is so insanely like badass and (laughs) hard to do, you know? So I think like, even though if that, if that might've been like just, just your Z goal, quote unquote, but I think that goal is just so like over, it like encompasses everything, you know, like it's so big. I think that's a huge goal. So I got to say, congratulations. Like that's amazing (laughs) before we get into some of like the rougher things that happen in the race, you know? Well, thank you for saying that, Chris. I really appreciate that. And I want to be really clear. Um, and this has been a challenge in discussing my race with, with friends or family over the last week is, um, I know that you are 100% right, and I don't tell you how I really am feeling as a way to fish for compliments. I don't. I agree that it's a big deal. It's it's a huge accomplishment, um, absolutely. And I also recognize that there are so many people out there who would give so much to just finish a hundred miler, who, you know, so badly wish that they wouldn't have DNF'd their first 100 or that they had a hard rock qualifier. So. I know that sort of explaining how I'm feeling comes with the risk of sounding, you know, rather ungrateful or just having my perspective way out of whack. Um, so I am grateful. I'm so thankful I finished that I didn't quit at any point. Um, it just truly has been a challenge to sort of reconcile the fact that, um, nothing big went wrong. You know, I thought if I was looking at a 35 hour finish, it was because I was hobbling in, on a broken ankle or, you know, I had vomited for hours or gone blind or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but instead I felt like relative to the task, pretty good, most of the race. And yet the best I had to offer on that day and night and day was this very slow finish. So, um, again, like I'm super grateful for it. I'm also kind of struggling to, I think, I think the hard pill to swallow is, um, wow, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not, you know, as good at this as I hope to be or thought I was. Um, and, and the gap is pretty enormous, quite honestly, that the gap between A and Z. So again, I'm really grateful. And I'm also, um, it's, it's been a bit of a struggle to just, uh, to, to be one of the final finishers of the race, um, which is not, not where I would have chosen to finish (laughs) it's okay but it's it it is a it's been it's been kind of hard to just sort of 
process all of that. Yeah. Well, you're a competitor and yes. that makes sense. And I under, I totally understand that view, you know, but I think like also just kind of looking at like high lonesome wasn't the culmination of your running career. You know what I mean? Like it might be just the beginning of like an like a hundred miler thing where you it probably takes multiple hundred milers to like really figure out how to run run it in a way like be like you know like as efficient as yeah. you possibly can be yes, if that makes certainly. sense yep um and i think that's probably i it's it's an important perspective to like keep in mind but at the same time like i get it like <laughs> i totally get you know you do have a goals and b goals and stuff and you want to it would be awesome if you like reached them and, and things like that. But, but yeah, so it's, it's just weird. It's an interesting dynamic and I'm sure it's been kind of, um, kind of a strange reflection period for you. Very much so. Very strange. Um, yeah, <laughs> to, to be honest again, you know, someone may hear this and think, you know, Oh my God, that's so, you know, how skewed is her perspective? But I think quite honestly, coming down from this has been a lot more difficult than coming off of the DNF that we discussed at length. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know. It's been a very weird feeling. Again, I knew that it could take me all 36 hours, but I, I think I thought if that was the case, it would be because I could identify something that had gone terribly wrong and yeah. nothing did. You know, it, it, the simple fact is it took me 35 hours <laughs> to get done. And, and that's, uh, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's a long time just to be out there on your feet, you know? Um, what, like, do you think little things added up? Like, were there little things along the way? Cause it, it wasn't like a broken ankle or anything, but was it anything like slowly, um, just adding up over time? Uh, yes. So a couple factors. Uh, one, I am very aware that I had an absolutely abysmal, total time in aid. Um, not good needs major improvement. Um, I think some of that was because it was my first hundred and unlike some other races, I wasn't trying to say, okay, I'm going to be out of here in three minutes. I would sit down. I changed socks like 10 times cause there was so much water on the course. Um, you know, I, I definitely sat on my butt for long periods of time. Um, I think I thought that those little breaks would sort of uh, keep my body in good enough shape to then, you know, run and hike for the next five hours to the next aid station. Um, but, but I, I will certainly improve upon that horrible stat on my next go around. Um, another thing was at about mile 37, I got very nauseous and this was sort of like mid to late afternoon on the first day. And, um, I could eat, like, I could eat a few things, but nothing big. My stomach just kind of revolted sort of low grade nausea for about 10 hours. Wow. And in hindsight, um, you know, my, my good friend and one of my pacers in this race, uh, he tells me that, you know, you gotta keep eating because this is an eating contest. And, um, <laughs> That's a good way to look at it, and I certainly lost the eating contest. Um, just with the nausea, I ate little bits here and there, but I know I wasn't consuming the calories I should have been, and I think it would have been okay for an hour or two, but 
but I was kind of in a time warp, you know, it's night and, and, uh, you can't, I didn't really have a good sense of how much time had passed. And I, I probably ate far, far fewer calories over those 10 hours than I really should have. And I'm sure that over time it, it added up to really hurt me. Yeah. The whole, that's, that's tough though. That's a tough thing to get out of is the whole not being able to eat anything. And I've, I've been there, but it's not been in a long race, like a hundred miler. Like I've been there in a, in a 50 K with only like probably like five miles left. And that was hard enough. Cause I'm like, dude, I know I need to eat, but I just yeah. like legitimately cannot force down Right. Even like an Oreo. I remember sadly trying to eat an Oreo for 20 <laughs> minutes and then tossing it into the woods depressingly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like... I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I would get to an aid station and my amazing, wonderful crew had brought this awesome spread. They were so, I mean, and they're schlepping all this food a considerable distance from where they had to park to the aid stations. <laughs> yeah. And I would just look at, I mean, and there was like every food group, savory, sweet, hot, cold, you know, every texture imaginable. And I'm just like, no, none of it, nothing. This all looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's rough. I know it was, it was not good. Bless their hearts. They're really great. My crew. Yeah. Did it eventually come back or was it the yes. whole race basically? Um, it did actually. So, um, after sunrise, the nausea went away. Um, and I, I mean, I still, I didn't look at any foods and think, wow, that looks great. But I was eating again, again, probably not as much as I ought to have been. Um, I am certain I was operating at a deficit, but the stomach did get much better. Um, ironically, after 10 hours during which I would have loved to vomit and sort of start over. I never vomited until mile 95 when I felt fine. Stomach was great. Most things were pretty great. And I just sort of like stopped on the side of the trail, leaned over, vomited three times, dry heaved a little bit, and then kept going like nothing had happened. It was super weird. Um, and not the time I would have chosen to empty the contents of my stomach, but so it goes. Our friend Kayla um yeah. sent me a message because i was like how did how's it how did erica do and stuff and she's like well she didn't puke all day until mile 95 yeah kayla was with me at that time for sure <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh that's rough with five miles to go um yeah so <laughs> so the last the last bit was going okay though right or yeah it was, um, it was kind of strange, you know, the sun rose on the second day and I had had, um, quite a few overnight hours to sort of, um, come to terms with the situation I was in, which was, I was going to be running until the following afternoon. Um, and it was just a bummer to wrap my head around that. I, as I said, you know, I, I didn't really want to be running at 5 PM on day two. Yeah. Um, but I was, and so I sort of went through the stages of, you know, like frustration with that. Um, but by the time the sun came up, I sort of knew what I was staring down, had come to terms with it. My stomach was feeling better. And so really from mile 68 onwards, um, you know, I, of course I felt tired and, and run down and all that, but, um, I moved pretty efficiently consistently through that whole time. Um, I felt, I would say as good as I could have 
hoped to feel given the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Were you like, what was going through your mind at the time? Cause like, it almost sounds like you were in sort of like a mental funk almost of like, is that fair to say or not? Um, what, what do you mean by mental funk? Like if you were like thinking about, man, I like the whole, like tr- coming to terms with like, Oh, I'm going to be running till five tomorrow. And I have to yeah. be okay with that kind of deal. Yeah. You know, like it's the whole, um, what your expectations were, which was probably not to be running, you know, that late into the day yeah. versus like trying to go through like the acceptance of that. And that's yes. tough to do. And so like, was, was that like a constant battle in your mind or was it kind of like a quick, like conversation with yourself? Right. Um, so I wrestled mentally with that ever widening enormous gap between my expectations and my reality sort of all through the night hours Okay. Um, up there on that section I mentioned uh, for which the course is named the very a, high and lonesome section. High <laughs> lonesome section. Yep. I, uh, I had a great pacer with me keeping me moving. Um, but that was sort of, I would say the three hours before sunrise. Yes. I was in that mental funk of just sort of disappointment in myself um, and quite honestly, I, I was really bummed that I was going to reach this certain aid station at sunrise that I had hoped to be at more like midnight. And so all of that was sort of flooding over me and I very much would have been okay not doing this activity anymore at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I had all these overnight hours with a great pacer with me and, and no, you know, my pacer, my crew, um, everyone was just operating under the assumption that of course I was going to keep going. And, um, so that mental funk happened for sure in those overnight hours. And I think by the time, uh, some daylight broke and we, we descended into this aid station right around sunrise. And I picked up my second pacer who was like stoke level 10 to pace me, even though I was hours behind, it was just, that was kind of the moment I came to terms with my situation and realized this is what it is. I still want to finish. Um, and kind of broke out of that funk, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it is, it's kind of, it's probably an interesting experience of like, Oh, this person's super pumped to like run this section of the course with me. And, and that kind of, you can almost feed off of that energy. Yes. I most certainly did. There were a lot of people. Well, I met a handful of people who were running this race with no crew and no pacer. And to be honest, had I arrived without a crew or pacer at that aid station at sunrise, um, I don't know that I would have quit, but it would have been way, way easier to quit. And I admire the people doing it solo because they took on a race that was a completely, you know, next level of difficulty compared to the race I ran. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, so when you finally like, I don't know, I always think like turn the corner and see the finish line, but, and I don't know if there was any corner to turn, but when you finally saw that finish line in the distance, what was kind of going through your head then? Like, what was the finish of the race like for you? Yeah, that's a really, that's an interesting question because it was different than I thought it would be. Um, this race is, Something unique about this race, a couple things really. Uh, one is it ends with a nice one mile 
400 foot climb on pavement. So that sounds glorious. <laughs> there, there's really not a gimme mile of the whole course. Um, but the other cool thing is, um, about three miles from the finish, you pop out onto road and you can have as many friends and family join you as you'd like. So, um, Kayla and I popped out on this road and, um, my other two pacers and my crew, which uh, my crew was my family members, they all joined me and uh, that was pretty cool. So I sort of had this like mob escorting me to the finish. Um, it was a lot of fun. It kept me moving because uh, I'd be like thinking I was running and I'd look to my side and somebody would be walking alongside me and it made me feel <laughs> angry. So I'd try to run faster um, and then that's funny in the yeah so that's then, like a funny crew thing you could tell them like hey at the end of the race whatever you do you be jogging so it makes me feel like i'm going fast yeah. don't walk beside yeah, me <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so then we hit this climb and um some other friends like pulled up in their car and you know gave me a hug and um so there was just a lot of energy um also sort of in those last three miles this crazy monsoon storm came through and there were these like really strong winds and like horizontal raindrops and it was just sort of this surreal like weather environment and um so anyway we're hiking up this road and uh, i had i felt pretty good moving efficiently hiking up the road and um, I'm a very like reflective, contemplative person. Um, I tend to process things internally. So I was definitely thinking about a lot. Um, there had been a lot of moments before the race when I was down that area, when I had driven that road or pulled over on the side of that road, just wondering what's it going to be like? You know, will I even make it this far? And what will I be feeling when I come up this road at mile 99? Um, and I think maybe I had sort of thought that experience to death, you know, in the preceding 35 hours um, that by the time I got there, I did feel emotional, but also just sort of like I didn't even know what to think. Um, and then you turn into this field. Um, the race starts and finishes in the middle of this field that's a very uneven surface, um, like kind of an ankle rolling type of situation. Um so I felt like I couldn't even move that quickly through that field. And, um, you know, my friends and family kind of peeled off to take some photos. And um, I'm, I'm definitely a crier. And I assumed I would just be a mess of tears. But I couldn't even cry. I think I was just, um, yeah, so kind of I had fought it to death so many times. I had been out for 35 hours. And, um, I mean, it certainly felt good to finish. But um, I think I... I was feeling a lot less than I thought I would just because my feelings were so used up. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, you were completely exhausted at that point, probably. What about in the last week or so? Like as you're thinking back and uh, you know, like uh, if you're like me, which it sounds like you are, is you do a lot of the internalizing of yep. the like life lessons and the emotions and the feelings and the moments you had during the race. And sometimes like, you know, you get these thoughts that really stand out and it makes something really clear 
Um, and then other times your mind is just like a complete blank. So like, how have you been processing that? Um, pretty slowly. I, like I said, I've had, I've had a lot more feelings of, uh, disappointment than accomplishment than I would have preferred. Um, and again, I want to be clear. I don't say that because I want everyone to tell me what a great job I did. I, again, I, I am. I'll try to hold back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm intellectually aware, um, that I did a great job. But there's also been all these actually pretty unexpected feelings of disappointment. And um, so it's been kind of a rough week um, in that regard. Not it's I know there's kind of post post race, uh, you know, feelings of sadness are, are fairly common. But this has kind of been a different thing of like, you know, these feelings of coming up short. Um, So it's been yeah, I would say a tough week. Um, I am an internal processor. I think things to death, um, which generally means I also need a lot of time to work through things, but I'm also aware that, uh, I don't think the processing truly happens until I talk to someone about it, whether I want to or not. And so I'm very grateful for, um, some friends who I've spoken with in the last couple of days. Um, I think it needs to be someone who is an ultra runner or has some insider experience with this type of thing who can sort of hear your honest thoughts and yeah. listen to you non-judgmentally. Um, and I do have a good friend and runner um, who graciously listened to me a couple of days ago, talk through it all. Um, a coworker did the same for me yesterday. Um, you know, I think even talking to you is helpful. So um, the last week has sort of been a combo of thinking it to death, but also acknowledging that, um, I do need to talk through it. And, uh, that's been really helpful too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it is like, it's so tempting to just be like, yeah, but you did such an amazing job and like you finished a hundred and I'm sure that's what you're getting from a lot of people who don't fully grasp. Like, that's why it probably is good to talk to fellow ultra runners or people who have done this, you know, cause on one hand, it's such a great accomplishment, you know, and then on the other hand, you didn't reach where you wanted to reach, which is tough to kind of like tough pill to swallow a little bit. Yes, absolutely. And all, you know, the people who offer their unconditional congratulations are exactly right. And I, I appreciate every, every one of them. Um, but I also appreciate those who can sort of understand that, my feelings are a little more complicated and maybe layered than that. And sort of let me explain that, uh, non-judgmentally, um, you know, cause again, I, I, I recognize that so many people would give so much to have crossed that finish line. Um, in fact, I think only 86 of the 125 starters crossed the finish line. And so, you know, there you go, there's 40 ish people right there who I'm sure would, would trade a lot to be in my position. So again, I'm really grateful. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's part of the challenge is like, I know I, I should be proud and also grateful. And so it's sort of hard to have these feelings of disappointment. Yeah, mixed, you know? <laughs> yeah no, I totally hear you. <laughs> but I, I think I, just, I guess like as like 
I think this is going to be a race you look back on like five years from now or how, you know, in your future ultra running journey and be like, wow, this was like a really important race for me. Um, you know, and, and I think part of it might be because of those feelings of like, you know, of like, Hey, like I didn't necessarily reach what I think my, my like peak potential is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, I do want to hear a little bit about, so I know you're, you're a part of the, uh, Colorado adventure guides and, yeah. um, before we even get into that, what's been your favorite Colorado adventure just in general? Like doesn't have to be with about running or anything like that. Like mm -hmm. what's been something you've done where you're like, Whoa, that was a crazy experience. Um, yeah. So, uh, the answer that doesn't take much consideration at all is um, nine years ago, I thru-hiked the Colorado Trail, and no that way. remains, I think that remains, well, time will tell, um, probably my proudest athletic accomplishment. That's so cool. We could do a whole nother podcast over that, <laughs> you realize, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so what, so that kind of like leads into the whole Colorado adventure guide. So can you kind of like explain what that program is and like how you're involved with it? Yeah, sure. So, um, a couple months ago I started working for the company. Um, I do have a background in, in, uh, like some guiding and some outdoor education. And I've also been stewing for the last few years, um, over running related business ideas, um, trying to do something, to earn a living that incorporates this sport that I really love. Yeah. So um, I spoke with Colorado Adventure Guides in the spring and basically presented the idea of offering guided trail runs. Um, the company itself is already a guide service um, that offers guided hikes, rock climbing, mountain biking, uh, backcountry skiing, and backcountry splitboarding. And so... Um, the GM was very, very open to adding guided trail runs to that menu of options. And um, he's been super cool. Basically let me kind of design the product. And, uh, and so now um, you can book a guided trail run through us. And I would be your running guide more than likely. And um, my goal with the product is really to uh, – well – anywhere on the spectrum from someone who already kind of likes to road run. Maybe you're visiting summit County. Yeah. You've always wanted to try trail running, but it's kind of intimidating to figure out where to go and how to be safe. And, um, I definitely love sort of showing those people around on their first trail run. Um, and I also would love to be there for, you know, maybe someone from out of state who's training for a mountain ultra who says, you know, I don't really know where to go, but I want to get in this many hours and this much vertical and I can design that run and, and take somebody out on that run. Um, and then, you know, every experience level in between. Um, so I'm really excited about it that I get to kind of go, go running with people for a living now. Yeah, that's so cool. So it's, if people are visiting Summit County, it's funny cause, um, I have people who visit and they ask me like, where's a good trail to run and stuff. But and, you know, I always feel like you almost feel a little intimidated telling them kind of like the more backcountry stuff, which are the mm -hmm. coolest runs, hands mm -hmm. down. But it's like, you know, it's easier to get lost and it's easier to like not have the right supplies and things like that. So 
it sounds like like a really cool way to like actually get people back there. And, and at the same time, like (laughs) we were, we were just up in Summit County last weekend and the summers can get so busy there. And there are certain hikes that while they're really cool hikes, you almost don't want to do. Um, so like having like a local, like someone who's knowledgeable about it would be like really beneficial to like kind of get away from the crowds exactly that's exactly what we want to offer people yeah yeah because i mean like i said there are some hikes that are like super cool hikes but if you're doing it on a saturday in the middle of summer like in july you know like it's yeah you're not gonna have the experience you want to have i don't think no 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 yeah Um, absolutely and that's another part of it is um you know i think a lot of people vacationing their time is you know, pretty precious and they want to see something awesome, but they don't want to have to, you know, try three or four different runs to really find a gem. And so that's something else I want to be is I can steer you away from, you know, the quandary peak trails of summit (laughs) towards the Buffalo mountains of summit County. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, exactly. The quandary is, is great but it's also like i've been on it where there's been barely anybody on there but then at the same time i've been on it where it's just a line of people hiking up to the top which is which is a a different experience so that's super cool where can they where can people like find uh your guys website and information and things like that and that and i'll also link it in the show notes obviously and talk about it in the intro and outro and stuff like that very cool thanks for doing that Um, yeah so Colorado Adventure Guides is the company name, um, Instagram, Facebook. The website is just coloradoadventureguides.com. Okay, sweet, sweet. Well, Erica, one, like, I guess to kind of like leave everybody with an idea or, a, you know, for all of us out here who haven't attempted a hundred miler or anything like that, like may, maybe not even a hundred miler, but like what has become like getting becoming a part of the ultra running community. Like what has that done for you personally? Ooh, becoming a part of the community. That, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, this, I think through running, um, I have made such a cool variety of friends. Um, this race is the perfect example. I was paced by a guy uh, from Phoenix who, you know, is a couple decades older than me, who I have seemingly nothing in common with. I mean, he's, you know, he's had this very successful career doing something I know nothing about. Uh, You know, like we're not, our paths would never cross. But we have maybe the most important thing in common um, or the thing that's most important to us in common. And therefore, uh, you know, we totally get each other. Um, Same story with, many other friends, friends that I have, uh, who have reached out to me or vice versa since this race or when they race, um, people again, who just live a completely different life in a completely different place than me, very different stages of life, older than me and younger than me. Um, but because we have found trail and ultra running and love it so much, I feel more connected to them than many people who on the outside look like their life is a lot more similar to mine. And yeah. I think when you try this sport, you go to a trail race and you're willing to strike up a conversation, put a little effort out there to meet someone 
Um, you just, you connect with people in a way that you can't connect without sharing this um, sort of experience of pushing your limits and challenging yourself. You have that in common and, uh, you know, suddenly your connection is much, much stronger than maybe people that you see every day at work or school or whatever. Um, I mean, here I am talking to you, right? Our paths have crossed through ultra running. Um, it's just, I mean, it's a really special thing to know that when I have a race, good or bad, I can call a friend in another state, you know, living a totally different life than mine day to day. And they're like, yeah, I totally get it. Let's talk about it. And I have a really strong support system. So I'm sure there are other great communities out there, but, um, I highly recommend this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. I think that's like, I've never thought of it that way until you just said it, but it kind of like expands your concept of life almost. Cause you're like, Hey, like I can hang out with people in completely different realms of life that I might not otherwise. Totally. I mean, and the generosity people have extended to me, um, friends have hosted me in their homes. They have donated weeks of their lives. They've driven across the country. Um, so I think that's also important to note as I talk about high lonesome is, um, the other overwhelming feeling I have is this incredible support system of all these people who, I mean, spent time and money to just watch me slog it out for 35 hours. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. I don't know of other situations in life where people come together to support you in this, you know, ultimately kind of a silly hobby. Um, and to just feel that level of love and support is pretty special. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, Erica, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. Um, we'll definitely uh, have you back on at some point. And next time we're in a race together and you happen to see me. And oh. and first of all, I got to say, anytime you see Thomas Mullins in a race, you got to at least say hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Listen, those were low times, okay? <laughs> all right, sweet. Well, well, thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again in the future. Hey, thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> All right, guys, that wraps up this week's uh, Like a Bigfoot podcast. Huge thanks to Erica. You were incredible. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, it was definitely something I thought about. I thought about the whole um, kind of weirdness of feeling proud, but also feeling like you wanted to accomplish more out of out of the race. Um, I thought about that a lot. And... Um, and really over, I, we recorded this like a week and a half ago and I've thought about it a lot over the last week and a half actually. And, uh, I, it was funny. I went for a run right after talking to Erica and I just kind of like meditated on this idea. And, um, I just thought, I just thought it was important to let her know. <clears throat> um, one, I think it's so admirable to even seek out a hundred mile race and train for it and then get it done. That deserves a lot of like so many props. It's, it's unbelievable. It's something that like such a small percentage, I know ultra running is growing as a sport, like more and more people are doing it. And maybe I'm seeing that more kind of being out West now, but I think it's happening all over the country. Um, at the same time, it's still such a niche sport. Uh, and you still tell it to, <laughs> like 90% of the 99% of the population and um they 
they don't fully know that it's even a thing, which is so all that being said to actually do a hundred mile race is incredible. So you're incredible for that. Um, and then I just thought it was important for all of us to understand this. We're never finished products. Uh, and, and to be continuing, like to go out and to seek improvement is perfectly normal and is admirable. It's, it's, it means you're not in like zombie mode. It means you're like going out there and intentionally seeking out hard, uh, challenges and seeking out growth, which I think is important your whole entire life, uh, from a teacher perspective. And I'm coming back from my first day of teaching, which is why my voice is, uh, kind of going, um, teacher perspective. We want kids to be lifelong learners. We want other people to be lifelong learners. And that means that you're a person that's out there seeking that growth. Um, and I think Erica represents that wonderfully and hopefully all of you out there can connect to that. Right? So I think not being fully satisfied isn't necessarily, a it's not a bad thing at all. In fact, it's probably a perfectly normal thing. Um, but I also think this, I think, um, you kind of got to remember this, the highs, like the peaks in life are fantastic. And in those moments, enjoy it, like, you know, love them and all that stuff. And then the lows can be very hard. The valleys can be like paradigm world shifting, like difficult and brutal. Right. But you have to remind yourself, you spend the most of you spend the majority of your days kind of like in between those highs and lows. You spend the majority of them in the middle. That's like most of our time is not on a peak. It's not in a valley. It's in the middle. And I think those are the moments where you should seek uh, contentment and self-love in those moments, Does that, if that makes sense. So I understand striving, like striving for that continual growth, but at the same time, like seek that contentment in the middle um, in the middle sections, you know, like where we spend the majority of our time. If you can be content most of the time, that's awesome. And I'm trying to remind myself of this. No one's perfect at this at all. Um, so for example, for me, um, I'm like a very, I have like a to-do list every day, like, and my day is busy, man. I got up at like four this morning and I'll probably won't go to bed till eight 30, embarrassingly enough as a, as a 32 year old man. But, um, but yeah, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, there are these things I like to check off the box. Right. And when I'm doing, for example, like when I'm doing my workout, I want to be fully invested in that workout and like try to get that done as best I can and try to be the absolute best I can be in those moments. Um, but I think the thing to work on for myself, uh, is probably in those other moments. Like if you didn't have the greatest workout or you didn't have like the best uh, race or even teaching wise or work wise, like you didn't have the best day at work. Um, you can strive to get better. But then when you leave those moments, when you're not working out anymore, when you're not going for a run, when you're not at work, when you're not doing whatever, um, that's the moments you can try to seek contentment and just be like, I did my best in that moment. Maybe my best wasn't as satisfying as I wanted it to be, but I gave it my all in that moment and I'm okay with, with that. And, and if you do that, um, 
and kind of have that mindset where you're you're able to kind of let it go the rest of your time and and you know i'm i mean i i'm good at that most of the time not all the time um and i'm sure a lot of you guys can connect or you're like yeah most of the time i can be really content but i do every once in a while you get those things like i know for me if i have a uh, last class of the day and something didn't go exactly as planned. Um, I can come home and be dissatisfied all night and I have to work on that because now I'm no longer in a peak or a valley. Now I'm just doing the normal thing and I have to let myself, um, be okay with that. And I think that's part of the whole self-love kind of idea. So, um, I hope some of that made sense. Um, if you're still listening at this point, an hour and a half into the podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for listening and, um, we'll get back at you guys next week. We're, uh, catching back up with Jason Syme, who was in the excellent YouTube short film called how to run a hundred miles. We're talking about his second 100 mile attempt. Um, and we'll get into that next week. Uh, Erica, once again, thank you. You're wonderful. Um, I absolutely enjoyed chatting with you and and hanging out during Desert Rats. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate being able to sit down and talk to other people who uh, just love this sport and, and love going out and exploring and adventuring and pushing themselves like I do. I think it's, it's I'm truly grateful um, for, for these conversations because they teach me a lot and they help me grow. So thank you for that. Um, and yeah, guys, we'll get back at you next week. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. See ya.